Marini's Media. weekend in the EFL. Worldies all over the country. Adam Armstrong, feet stronger, and Neil Warnock works out how to unmute himself on Zoom. Scenes. This is the Totally Football League show in association with Paddy Power. Hey gang, hope you're well. Matt Davis Adams here to talk you through another wacky weekend in the English Football League. Sam Parkin's off this week, but the former Arsenal, Stevenage, Southend and more winger Adrian Clark is here. Hello Clarky. Hello, Matt. Good to be back. Uh, also on board, long-time friend of the show, one of the voices of the EFL on Quest, as well as Soccer Saturday and more. Keeping up the quota of Oxford United supporters on the pod, it's Simon Watts. Hi, Simon. How are you doing? Very well, thank you. And making her Totally Football League show debut from BBC London, the QPR podcast and Football Weekly. Never heard of it, mate. A big hello to Flo Lloyd-Hughes. <laughs> Hello, hello. Yeah, and you've already hinted that I do far too many podcasts, so apologies to some people who may have already heard me on about five this week already, but here you go. Yeah, might as well chuck you on another one, can't do any harm. Um, Enough with the pleasantries, on with the product placement. Paddy Power's Performance of the Weekend. Yes, it's time for Paddy Power's Performance of the Weekend, a format device which allows the show's principal sponsor to gain additional exposure in the guise of an EFL-related feature. Basically, we all get 15 seconds to say why we think a team should earn the title of the Paddy Power Performance of the Weekend. We put it out on Twitter and you vote for your favourite. Last week, I slash Harrogate won, which is good because Lord knows I've not been whiffing the sweet scent of victory from my own football team for some time now. Uh, Our panel have made their selections. Producer Abby will hit the gong sound effect once the time limit is reached. Clarkie, you're the veteran of this game, so you've got the honour of going first. You have selected Woo-hoo. Cambridge United. Your 15 seconds start now. Yeah, it shouldn't even be up for debate. Cambridge on fire under Mark Bonnet. Blue Morecambe away with a 5-0 win. Three worldies, including one from Wes Houlihan, which was nice. 560-mile round trip, 20 shots on goal. Their keeper had just one. That was pretty good. Actually, I think you just about did that, it. That gong really made me jump. I actually just <laughs> jumped out of my chair. That, that scared me. All right, Flo, you've picked Wimbledon. You can go next and just be aware there will be a gong 15 <laughs> seconds from now. I know, I needed a warning. Yeah, um, mad performance from Wimbledon. I was there at Loftus Road, their temporary second home. And for a team that last season did struggle to score goals at times, I couldn't believe what I was watching when they bagged for. Coming from behind twice, managed to pull it Oh. That was not good. Good first effort and room for improvement. Simon, let's see how you get on. You've chosen Luton Town. Well, opposition, including Wayne Rooney and Andre Wisdom, the big names of Derby County, Luton's low-budget squad, including the likes of Jordan Clark from Accrington, who hit the winner. Now, seven wins in nine going back to last season. When you consider Derby had Jack Marriott, £5 million former... Just as I was getting into second gear. Uh, I can't believe your name. Credit to Luton as well. Uh, I can't believe your name checking Andre Wisdom as as some kind of big fish alongside Wayne Rooney. He's got to be happy with that. Uh, Yeah, well, you know, he did play for Liverpool a couple of times, didn't he? And Derby did look toothless at the weekend, some might say. Um, Okay, I've gone for Stevenage. Let's see if I can make it two from two on the Twitter poll. Here I go. So Stevenage beat Oldham 3-0. They only scored three or more goals in one game in the whole of last season. They thought they'd be out of the AFL, but they looked to be making the most of their reprieve. Dominated this game, 20 shots at goal, 12 on target to Oldham's one. And they've got as many points after two. 
I can go over the time a bit because um, I'm the host. All right, get on Twitter <laughs> at the Totally Show to cast your vote. Adrian's chosen Cambridge, Flo's gone for Wimbledon, Simon's gone for Luton, and I went for Stevenage. We'll get to the weekend's action promptly, but it being 2020, there is some COVID-related news to discuss. A report in the Daily Mail last week highlighted that EFL clubs no longer required to undertake mandatory coronavirus testing on their players and staff, except where someone is displaying symptoms of the virus or after an international break in the championship with League One and two clubs needing to test if a player has been away with their country or been given an extended period of time off. The article states that the test costs between £100 and £150 each and that the weekly bill can be as much as £30,000 if 100 employees are checked prior to two matches. So as with a lot of things COVID-related, it comes down to economics versus safety. Adrian, what's your take on this? Mm, well, it seems very risky to me. I, I do understand the financial implications. I, I hope, really, this is some kind of play from the EFL and the EFL clubs to, to get somebody to effectively sponsor these tests or to, you know, to subsidise them because it, it is a prohibitive cost for, for many of these teams. But I just don't see how you can, can go into matches not knowing if half your team's got COVID or not. I, I think this is, you know, suddenly they could become breeding grounds for, for the virus and that, and that just goes against everything that that we've worked towards over the summer so something's got to give here I, I get it but it, it seems um it seems risky hopefully somebody will will be able to subsidize the costs Flo is it is it naive to think that it should be the EFL footing the bill for this well when I compare it to women's football which I cover a lot too obviously the FA is is the one footing the bill for that and they're a governing body. Obviously, EFL's a little bit different. But I agree. I think it is a little bit risky. And I don't want to be a snitch. But on Saturday, neither Plymouth or Wimbledon's um, subs were even wearing masks, really. So I think perhaps with everything going on around us and, and the cases that are rising across the country, it is a little bit of a risk to now take this away. Maybe about a month ago, when things had stabilised a bit, it would have made a bit more sense and there was week on week of, of no results in, in the in the league. But I think now it does seem a bit risky to suddenly say, oh, there's going to be no testing unless there's an international break and you've got internationals or or symptoms or whatever it may be. So, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if, if things kind of unravel quite quickly. But if it is a tactical play, like Adrian said, and it's a sort of, you know, cry for help, then maybe someone will come along and say, oh, we'll cover it then. What do you think, Simon? Do you think it, it might take a case that, like Clarkie's alluded to, that you might get one club with, with loads of positive tests after a match for for the FL or for somebody to, to sit up and take notice and say, OK, we'll pay for it? Well, you would imagine the chances of that happening are, are very, very high, wouldn't you? And I mean, these players are no different to the rest of us. They've got families, they've got relatives, elderly relatives they're going to be coming into contact with when you're you're man-to-man marking in in games and training every day, not to mention the staff and people who work within the training grounds on a daily basis as well who will be in contact with them. So it creates a massive dilemma for the players. And I know I spoke to a lot of players in the summer about the return to football and how they were feeling about that. And and without testing, they were very, very reluctant to come back. And we're a lot further down the line now on the one hand, but on the other, you know, this is a problem that heading into the winter, as we well know, and it's not like these players are going to be quarantined in between matches then you know they're going to be in the general public potentially mixing with people I just think it's a disaster waiting to happen really and literally as we're talking about that Adrian we get news coming out of Lake Norient 
Yeah, just got on one of my news apps, it says that, that several Leighton Orient players have tested positive for COVID and, and that that now means that their their cup game against Spurs is potentially in doubt. So there you go. <laughs> this, this, this could be a precursor for, for many things to come. And, and what Simon said is, is very relevant. There might be some players out there that are shielding elderly relatives or, 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 or um, you know, partners that have underlying health conditions. If they suddenly start withdrawing from matches because there are no testing, surely that will force the hand so that, so that the widespread t- testing can, can continue. OK, well, I'll tell you what's not depressing. Brackets, unless you support Nottingham Forest, close brackets. Football, let's talk about that next. For the rest of this month, this month being September 2020, you can take out a subscription to The Athletic for the frankly ridiculous price of just £1 a month. That's unrivaled football writing and analysis from the very best people in the business, a brand spanking new breaking news service and ad-free versions of each Athletic podcast, all for just £1 a month. Go to theathletic.com slash league show to get started. You're listening to the Totally Football League Show, sponsored by Paddy Power and part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Championship headlines. Some supporters were back in some stadiums, specifically in the championship at Middlesbrough and Norwich. Speaking of the Canaries, Max Ahrens won't be going to Barcelona after a deal to take him from Caro Road to Catalonia fell through. Elsewhere, Neil Warnock zoomed into the Riverside to salvage a draw against Bournemouth. Forest and Derby lost again, but Bristol City, Luton and Reading are two for two. And we're going to start our look back on the weekend at Ewood Park, where Blackburn dished out a 5-0 gubbing to Wickham in the first ever competitive meeting between the sides. Tony Mowbray with the most backhanded of compliments to the chairboys post-match, saying, I knew they'd be difficult to play against, as it was for the first 10 minutes. Um, Adam Armstrong <laughs> hit a hat-trick here. Flo, where does he rank among among the championship's top strikers? Because it felt like he went a little bit under the radar last season, despite getting 16 league goals for a, a fairly middling side. Yeah, he's definitely up there. And I know there are a couple of eyes on him. But I think because he's not one of the showy players in the league, he probably doesn't grab as much attention. And I think Rovers fans also are a bit disappointed in how the, the, the team finished last year in, t- in terms of league position. So maybe that's kind of covered things up a little bit. But if they carry on this form and do finish highly as well, then you'd think a lot of people would be interested in him, especially potentially in January if he doesn't leave before the transfer window closes. But definitely one of the best strikers in the league at the moment. And there's not a lot of um, you know top striking talent at the moment. So players like him do stand out and so many you know top end championship clubs or premier league clubs are looking for those kind of bargains and and when clubs like Brentford are constantly turning over talent he's the kind of person that clubs in that sort of area will look to as a maybe fairly reasonably priced player who's going to grab you you know at least double digits every season Somebody else who stood out in that game, Adrian, Tyree Stolen, 18 years old, won a penalty and scored on his full league debut. This after he was released by Preston in the summer. That That's good scouting from Rovers, isn't it? It is good scouting and it goes to show that, that one opinion doesn't necessarily mean it's a deal breaker for players. I think when, when some players get released by a club, they, they, they get so down on themselves and they, they lose all confidence and, and they disappear without trace. Well, obviously what Tyrese has done, he's picked himself up and, and, and maybe 
sorted himself out with a move and put some feelers out himself and 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 fair play to Blackburn for for identifying him and and giving him a chance. Look, he looked he looked really lively to me. I mean, little pocket rocket, great celebration as well, wasn't it? He had the old uh, uh, Loire Loire um, somersault going on, didn't he? So no, he'll be buzzing. Assist, a goal, and 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 I'm I'm led to believe that that the players themselves at Blackburn identified him during pre-season and, and, and were saying to Tony Mowbray, we've got to get this kid involved in the first team. He's he, This kid's electric. He's done that. He's listened to the players. He's used them as judges and, and it, it looks like Rovers are benefiting. In terms of Wickham, Simon, uh, we've got a lot of love for them on this pod. I'm guessing maybe you're not quite as affectionate <laughs> toward them given what happened in the, the playoff final with your beloved Oxford. Not many people giving Wickham a, a, much of a chance of staying in the championship for a second season. This was obviously a, a harsh lesson, but are there any positives you can see for them going forward? Not on the evidence of this game, but I have to say that, you know, Wickham are one of these teams who thrive when they've been written off. I think they will come again. They're just finding their feet. And I don't think you can underestimate, you know, you look at Oxford's poor start to the season as well. The fact that they have had a much, much shorter pre-season to get ready for this. OK, you could say championship clubs are all playing, I suppose, to mid-July as well. But, you know, for a club to adjust going up such a big jump into a new division, I think it was always going to be a, a tough baptism for them. But I do think they've got the spirit and togetherness within the football club, which will hopefully for them shine through, you know, come the latter stages of the season. I certainly don't hold that playoff final against them, really. But uh, just on Tyree Stolen as well, by the way, I was reading up on him and uh, he actually caught Blackburn's eye in an FA Youth Cup match playing for Preston last season um, and turned down moves to Carlisle and Fleetwood in the summer. He basically said that him and his agent had already made a decision that he wasn't going to have much of a pathway at Preston in the summer. And I think it was quite a close call on whether they were going to offer him a new deal or not. But because of the COVID situation, they decided to cut a few youngsters loose that may well have otherwise been offered new contracts. Uh, But he was effectively saying that if he had been offered a new deal by Preston, he'd already made that decision that he was going to step away and try and find a club that was a a better fit in terms of getting into first team football, which is quite a brave move, but also shows a massive sign of confidence for an 18-year-old. But what a bit of business for Blackburn as well, because with the salary cap this year he comes under that so it's effectively a a free player in your squad yeah looks like one that's going to work out for everybody Uh, elsewhere Middlesbrough won Bournemouth won at the Riverside Neil Warnock watching via Zoom RIP Skype uh, that from home after he tested positive for COVID his assistant Kevin Blackwell said afterwards that Warnock is well which is good news Uh, Dominic Solanke rather generously credited with the opening goal and then let's have a look at Brony said Warnock before authorising the arrival from the bench of goalscorer Marcus Brown. Uh, Marcus Brown with the goal, but another forward has been added to the Middlesbrough ranks in Tuba Akpom. What can you tell us about him, Adrian, from, from what you saw of him at his time at Arsenal? Yeah, I saw plenty of him. He's knocking on the door for a long, long time at Arsenal. He he, he came through a little bit like Eddie Nketiah has done this well, across last season. He, he was the next big thing. and It didn't quite happen for him. What what he did, he went out on loan to to a number of clubs in the in the championship, and he didn't he didn't score prolifically, uh, and and for that reason, when he came back, he seemed further away from the first team than, than he was initially, and and in the end, they they cut him free. He's, he's come from Greek football, uh, Pauk, where he was brilliant by all accounts, um, wasn't prolific. 
around one goal in five games, sometimes on the bench as well. But but they liked him. He's a good team player. He's quick. He's strong. He's a, he's a decent enough finisher. Um, but but I have to say, initially, I would expect him to be back up at the Riverside to a Sombolonga and Fletch. Obviously, you've got Brown in there as well that, that's part of the, the group of front men. So, so, yeah, he's just adding competition for places. Um, yeah, but he's 24 as well now. So, coming into his prime, um, look, he could turn out to be a gem, but I don't think he'll be topping the goal charts this season. On Middlesbrough generally, Flo, what kind of expectations should we have around them this season? Obviously, it didn't work out for for Jonathan Woodgate. Neil Warnock's made some new signings, but the bulk of the squad from from last year is still there. Would it be realistic to expect a promotion challenge? I think a promotion challenge is a bit beyond them, but I think they're going to be hard to beat because they're on Neil Warnock's side and his side's always hard to beat. I don't think they're going to play the most attractive football, but that won't really matter because the fans had a pretty rubbish time last season anyway. So I think anything better than last season is a positive and he will galvanise the fan base because he's that sort of personality. Everyone will hate them. All the other fans in the league will hate Warnock, but that will only build that loyalty and that following. I, I am maybe a little bit worried about where where this is coming in Warnock's career because it seemed like he was kind of happy retiring in Cornwall and obviously he's, what, 71 now. And it's whether he is really up for the challenge and, and really committed to potentially stay here for a couple of years and build something towards promotion. And that's the only thing. Obviously, Borough want to get back up as soon as possible. And I don't really know if he's going to be the one to do that. But, he, you know, his his record will be good there. It's just beyond, you know, a mid-table for a finish that's perhaps pushing for the payoffs. I don't know what they can offer. Simon, he's just a football addict, isn't he, basically? There's no need for a 71-year-old to be travelling literally the length of the country to go to work all the time. <laughs> no, but he surrounds himself with people he knows and trusts as well. Ronnie Jepsen, Kevin Blackwell, you saw on the touchline at the weekend, and he's very good at empowering people, designating responsibility as well. I mean, players who've played under Neil Warnock have said you, you often won't see him on the training ground until Thursday, Friday, which as a fan I found a little bit strange. But then when you speak to players... Actually, and I don't know, Adrian might have experienced this in his career. Actually, that, that sometimes has more of an impact when the boss turns up on Thursday because that's when you start to get your game face on. By the way, I was absolutely gutted to see Marcus Brown score on Saturday because from my understanding, a deal for him to come back to Oxford was potentially on the table. He was brilliant on loan with us last season, as he was from West Ham. But I genuinely think he is such a good player and a good prospect. It needs somebody like Neil Warnock to show a little bit of faith in him because I think that move to the North East from London last year was maybe a little bit difficult for him to adjust, particularly in a struggling team under Jonathan Woodgate. But I think that, you know, in, in Marcus Brown, they have a player there who will be like a new signing if they can get him in a good headspace this season. Well, Luton Town continued their winning start to the season by beating Derby at Kenilworth Road. Nick Miller was there for the Athletic. He joins us now. Uh, Nick, this was your first experience of a, a live game during the pandemic. How did you find it? It was odd, but sort of strangely comforting as well. Um, I th- maybe it was nice for me to, you know, go to Luton, relatively gentle surroundings and... Um, they seem to uh, everything seemed to be sort of arranged very well, you know, lots of room, everyone in masks and so on. But it was kind of um, it did feel. I mean, it feels a bit weird still. Still feels a bit weird being out of the house. Never mind going to Luton to watch a football game. But yeah, it was uh, 
strangely comforting. And and this was one of the games that could potentially have had spectators. Luton were offered the chance to let a thousand fans in, but but declined to do so. Did you get much of a steer on on why they did turn it down? I think it. I mean, I think it was just the reasons that they um, outlined in their um, their statement that they basically didn't have enough time to make arrangements. I, I, I couldn't quite decide whether Kenilworth Road would be the best or the worst ground to have this kind of um, event at, because on the one hand, you can only get into the place for, via a couple of from a, from two directions. So from that perspective, it would be quite easy to sort of funnel people out without. Um, you know, putting them, pointing them in the right direction without having people mixing and going over the place. But on the other hand, it's incredibly cramped ground. It's obviously very old and rickety, and the concourses are quite narrow. So I don't know. Maybe they just they stuck their hand up and then thought about it for a second and thought, oh, no, actually, this would be a really stupid idea. Because I mean, last week on um, the Extra Time show, uh, George and Ali had. Uh, the Shrewsbury chief executive on, and they, they have kind of, I think it's like 40 acres around the site, so that there's lots of room for people to spread out and so on. But Kenilworth Road, that's not possible. So I don't know whether they're going, they're planning to um, to sort of put their hand up again if if as perhaps looks quite unlikely now um, there are more of these test events. But you know who knows. Nick, what of the performances then? You know that um, I'm completely unconvinced by Koku and uh, that I'm, I'm, I'm sure that Wayne Rooney will be Derby manager before the end of this season. But, but we'll get to that point some point in the future, I'm sure. What about Derby's performance? I did read that they were slightly better than they were against Reading. A couple of debutants, weren't there? Joswiak and, and Nathan Byrne. Did either of those two catch the eye? Yeah, Joswiak was pretty good in the second half. I mean, I think he said before when he signed that he prefers playing on the left. So it was quite odd that he started on the right-hand side. He just seemed to stand... He seemed to spend most of the first half standing on the touchline watching big diagonals gently sort of sail over his head. Um, But then there was a few sort of tactical switches and he went out to the left and was much more effective cutting in on his right foot and set up the goal with a very sort of smart, little uh, kind of turn and flick back to Jack Marriott. Um, yeah, it, it did cross my mind to um, to ask Koku after the game, you know, do you think think you'll be gone soon and when Rooney will come in? But, you know, he's actually quite a big lad, so I decided <laughs> against that one. Nick, what was, the, from what you could gather, what was the vibes amongst the team, uh, the, you know, the coaching staff and the squad, were were they looking quite negative, heads down? I mean, I, th- I feel like that's the first sign of things falling apart and a manager soon to be out the door. I didn't notice anything particularly negative in that respect. They are quite agitated for uh, parts of the game. The team, in terms of the team performance, certainly in the first half, they were incredibly flat. As you, as you, as Matt said a minute ago, they were better than against or better than against Reading, but that you know, it's a fairly low bar to jump over. Um, so it just seemed to be a sort of a bit of a microcosm of Koku's time there. There was sort of there was a lot of frustrating things and seemed to be making the same mistakes as they have been doing for the past year but with enough little nuggets of hope that you might think, well, give him a bit of time and he'll figure this out. Uh, whilst we've got you, Nick, I'm being forced by producer Abby to ask you about the two-time European champions, Nottingham Forest. Firstly, they've lost a club legend and under-23 coach to Luton. Tell us more about that after answering the question, you OK, hun? <laughs> yeah, I mean, Chris Cohen was sat 
behind me. He was sat a few rows behind me at Luton, and I sort of very naively thought, oh, Forrester playing Derby in three or four weeks' time, maybe he's just scouting. But then um, uh, after after the game, after the press conferences had been done, who should I see but Chris Cohen having his photograph taken on the pitch with a Luton shirt and, uh, you know, my keen journalistic instincts kicked in and thought, hmm, <laughs> I smell a rat here. But yeah, it's, it is, uh, as a Forest fan, uh, Cohen leaving sort of made me much sadder than the collapse at the end of last season did because that was, you know, it was just that was just not getting in the playoffs. You know, w- w- that'll happen again. Uh, that that's that particular disappointment will happen again. It's happened before, and we probably will get in the playoffs at some point. So, you know, as as catastrophic as that was, uh, this didn't really it didn't really affect me as much as this weirdly because Forest, well, and and any club the size of Forest don't really have current heroes or legends anymore because as soon as they're good enough for someone else to buy them, someone else buys them. Chris Cohen stayed has been with Forest for thirteen odd years. Um, he has sort of stayed through three cruciate ligament injuries. He he's, was coaching the youth team with Andy Reid, which was just, if nothing else, incredibly comforting. And when you support a team that are largely terrible for most of the time, comforting things like that are almost the best you can hope for. <laughs> can I can I just say, uh, Chris Cohen is a good mate of Nathan Jones. They go they go way back. Um, I think they spent a couple of seasons together at. At Yeovil, and I, I vaguely remember Nathan um, speaking highly about Chris to me as a player. You know, we've got we've got a lad here that's that's really really good, um, too good for this level. And of course, he ended up going to Nottingham Forest. So that that connection makes sense. Yeah, C- Cohen's always even when he was a player, he felt like a coach who was just sort of um, waiting to become a coach. He he just had that sort of you know very professional and authoritative air. And yeah, as you said, I, I think um, when Cohen joined Yeovil from West Ham when he was quite young, I think Nathan Jones took him under his wing a little bit, and clearly they've they've sort of stayed in touch and been close ever since. So Cohen won't be taking caretaker charge of Forest if slash when Sabri Lamushi gets a Spanish archer. How close do you think we are to that after the home defeat to Cardiff on Saturday? Who knows? I mean, I, I was I was actually a little bit surprised that uh, I didn't emerge from Kenilworth Road on Saturday to to the news that uh, Lamucci had gone. Uh, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I can only sort of sigh and shrug at this stage. Forest are supposedly signing uh, or in talks to sign Scott McKenna, big centre back from um, Aberdeen. Uh, which will be, uh, you know, what I've lost count of the the number of players that Forest have signed. The problem, the thing is that you can make sort of individual cases for most of the players that Forest have signed. Like, for example, Cyrus Christie joined at the, uh, at the back end of last week, and you know he's probably better than Carl Jenkinson or you know Dariqua, who or, or the other right back options we have. But that's now four, possibly five, if you count uh, a youth team player called Jaden Richardson, right backs. McKenna, I'm sure this has been in the works for slightly longer than that, but it just feels like, you know, having been beasted by Kiefer Moore at the weekend, someone's gone, okay, well, we'd probably need a a big muscular centre-half in to solve that problem. And it just sort of seems to sum up the short-termist thinking at Forrest. I know that's not really the the uh, answer to the question you asked, but, uh, you know, you open the floodgates with Forrest and all this comes out. Yeah, um, I don't want to talk about Forest anymore. Goodbye, Nick. 
Okay, the final game we'll focus on in the championship was the Friday night fixture between Coventry and Queen's Park Rangers. Cov won it 3-2. We'll get to that soon enough. First, though, players from both sides didn't take any pre-match. It didn't happen in the Norwich-Preston game, nor in the majority of League One and Two matches either. David Ornstein's written about this in his Monday column for The Athletic. Clubs citing a lack of guidance from the EFL, who say it's up to the clubs to decide on a match-to-match basis whether they do it or not. A Rangers director of football, Les Ferdinand, has had this to say on the matter. The taking of the knee has reached a point of good PR, but little more than that. The message has been lost. It's now not dissimilar to a fancy hashtag. Taking the knee will not bring about change in the game actions will uh, flow you're a qpr fan what's your take on on ferdinand's comments and and rangers actions well my take on the comments i i, f- I fully stand by and trust the club in this i am disappointed that they did stop doing it they stopped doing it in july as did a few other clubs but because it wasn't in front of the telly no one really picked up on it apart from uh one red top uh newspaper or tabloid that decided to write a lot about it um But as a fan, I'm disappointed in what the club have done because although actions do speak louder than words, and I I truly believe that, and I think the Premier League's, you know, no room for racism banner is is completely pointless. You can see in what the club has been doing in the community, whether it's about integration, um, inclusivity and and anti-racist work, it's there. Um, And I think the club, you know, has a very diverse workforce. But having a diverse workforce and engaging in anti-racism are not one and the same and I don't want the club to go down the route of like using that as a bit of a shield I think the reason I think it's still really important to do it is that the whole point of it is to bring awareness yes it is only symbolic and that's the very nature of the issue and and Les's words are so strong because he's saying you know we've got to do this and more don't just take the knee if you're not following up with any actions and he references what happened to the club's youth team in Spain when they reported some racism to UEFA and still nothing's been done about it so I can understand he's really frustrated and he feels like it's a hollow gesture so why carry on but I do think I'm disappointed because the whole point is about bringing awareness and I don't think that you should need a, a directive in order to do it. I think you should keep doing it until something changes. And, you know, I, I know Les will think, well, that, that that's, you know, unlikely to happen anytime soon. But I think we, you need to keep the message going and, and perhaps there needs to be an alternative thing that clubs can do because it's getting awkward if you're both going to the referee's office and sort of staring at each other waiting to see who's gonna be the first to to not want to do it so I I feel I'm in two minds about it because I was frustrated because I want the club to be taking part in these important messages but at the same time they're they're a club that you can really trust when they do say that actions are louder than words. Adrian, lest we forget, there was a football match as well and Coventry came out on the right side of the the five-goal thriller. We've been sort of saying that we think they'll be okay this season and and this was an important result for them just to get off and underway and and looking like they are going to be able to compete at this level. Yeah, I'm pretty confident they're going to be fine this season, Coventry. Uh, I was banging the drum last season from a pretty early stage and and I think that they just continue to, to, to get better. This was this was a good performance. Callum O'Hare was really exciting. He's he's definitely championship ready. He he was um, a breath of fresh air. I thought the two wing backs were terrific. Dabo and and Giles Hamer in central midfield has, has made a good impact. He's kind of re- replaced Walsh there from who they had on loan from Bristol City's, and he had a really good influence on the game in the second half. And and behind them you've got you've got a, a back three. 
um, that was really solid. It's one of the best in well, it was the best in League One last season. And and Rose isn't even playing at the moment; he's just coming back from injury. So, so yeah, Coventry were good in this game. I thought QPR were flimsy at the back. I have to say, Barbe was poor. I thought I thought that in the air he's a little bit of a liability. And and I know that that the manager Warburton. So I interviewed him not so long ago on the radio. I said, what's going to be different then in terms of in terms of QPR? You let in so many goals last season. Great to watch. But but how are you going to arrest that sort of um, leakiness? And, uh, you know, you know, I respect Mark. He, he speaks very nicely. He basically pinned it on Barbet's injury. And for me, I, I just think he's a, he's, a, he's a left back or a left sided centre back in a three. He's not dominant. And in this game... He, um, he he wasn't good in my opinion. So so I think that they need to reinforce at centre half moving forwards, Queens Park Rangers. Yeah, I mean it's the it's the same old issues, and I think the fans are getting a bit sick and tired of it to be honest. Because the the club have obviously um, spent a, a bit of money to get Rob Dickey in, and you can't expect that to change overnight. But it is a little bit tiresome when it's the same problems. Cannot defend at a set piece. Completely all over the place uh, at times when they lose the ball. And yes, when you play high fullbacks, that's a nature of the, the risk that you take. But at the same time, you know Lee Wallace is an experienced defender. Yeah. He's not quick, yeah, he was but poor, he, wasn't he? yeah, he should he should know what he's doing. And I think for me, what I get so frustrated about is 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 the lack of doing the basics. And in, in an interview with um, one of the the fan blogs, Law for Words, is a big QPR blogger this season. Mark Warburton hinted at the fact that the the players are actually getting fined for conceding goals at set pieces. And Clive from Law for Words made a joke saying, "Oh, their overdraft must look as bad as mine." Then, and that is the thing. It's this complete lack of kind of being switched on. And I don't think Barb is good enough. I completely agree. And the whole thing about having a left-sided centre-back who's left-footed, I mean, I don't, I don't see how that can be enough of a, a pull to play him every single game when the same things are going wrong, with the hope that one, one day he'll play an incredible pass, you know, that will, will make it worth it and worth the risk. So there's still so much to sort out and it's just becoming deja vu and, Although the t- the team have shown that they can score goals even without Eze on the pitch, you do think it's just you know when will there be a bit of progression on that front? Throwing out Barbes all over the place today, uh, right? Depending on the platform you're listening via, you'll now either hear an advert or a brief musical interlude. After which, we'll discuss League One stuff. Everyone remembers that time you've had that peach of an accumulator looking good only for... Oh, and the keeper's let it slip through his legs in the 94th minute. Or the right back has to pull on the gloves and face a penalty. Or Man United have again conceded a late equaliser. But with Paddy Power's Acker Cracker, you get a free bet if one leg of your fourfold plus Acker lets you down on all football matches and all markets. Paddy Power. Max free bet £10. Minimum odds of 1 to 5 on each leg. Online exclusive exclude shop bets. T's and C's apply. 18 plus. BeCumbleAware.org. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker and now ad-free on The Athletic. This is the Totally Football League show with Matt Davis-Adams. League One headlines. The Athletic reports that Wigan Athletic's administrators have rejected a second bid of £3.3 million for the club from Export Vale owner Norman Smirthwaite. Supporters were back at Charlton, Blackpool and Shrewsbury. Sadly, it only went well for Blackpool with the other sides losing. 
Charlton's latest prospective owner, Thomas Sandgard, was another person present at the Valley on Saturday. There were some Sunderland fans at the Catam, in the car park at least. And meanwhile, Ipswich, Lincoln and Hull are the league's 100 percenters. Only one place we can start, though, not just because two of our panellists were there. An eight-goal thriller at the Kayan Prince Foundation Stadium between Wimbledon and Plymouth, who drew 4-0. Two substitutes have both come on and scored. It's 4-4 now. Anybody's game. This, first of all, Canavan, Niall Canavan, turning in a header from a corner. And then Dominic Telford volleying in, completely unmarked in the penalty area. Simon, we seem to be saying this a lot lately, but, but this feels like it was a real pity that there were no supporters in the ground to witness it. It must have been incredible to see live. Oh, 100%. I mean, it was a weird experience from the very beginning, really. It's the first football match I've attended since February, which seems like a lifetime ago now, and uh, sort of summed up with a moment of light comedy from the local radio commentator um, before the game. He warned some unsuspecting reporter as he went to sit down in front of him before the game that I, I wouldn't sit there, mate. I-, I tend to spit a little bit when I get quite excited in my commentary. Which <laughs> That wasn't me, by the way. I was a- I was the local radio, but that was that was the Devon lot. It wasn't me. That, was, the- to- that was. I can confirm that that wasn't you that was the Devon lot but uh, that sort of turned my stomach a little bit and it's a good job he did move with the eight goals and I tell you what it could have been eight all and and not just four all which I don't think I've been racking my brains I'm pretty sure I'd remember it if I had I don't think I've ever seen a four all before and not just four all but the quality of the goals it was just incredible it was an incredible afternoon but yeah you're right you you still leave the ground with that slightly deflated feeling of you know, how amazing this would have just been with supporters here. And I went to the toilet at half time and there was a little sign up for the Cheltenham Festival back in March, which shows how long it's been since they've kind of taken the posters down inside the stadium back in March. So, yeah, it, it was an anticlimax and just a very weird afternoon, really, because, you know, Wimbledon again playing at a different venue um, and, you know, the way the match swung one way and another um, and the scoreline as well. Yeah, pretty amazing. And and I tend to spit a bit, not a sentence you want to hear in in 2020 from anybody who's not in the rap game. Um, Flo, Simon's right. There were some pretty sensational goals. Was there any one or any player in particular who stood out for you? George Cooper um, from Plymouth really stood out me uh, stood out to me. He was on loan last season. He's now made the move permanent. He scored a really good goal, Plymouth's first goal, which was one of those sort of could have been a cross, could have been a shot ones. But as well as that, he just played a part really in, in all Plymouth's goals and I thought he was really impressive. Joe Pickett, who scored two for Wimbledon, has got two assists already this season, now two goals. He scored a really good free kick. Connor Grant's goal for Plymouth was really good. Yeah, like Simon said, the quality was so good. And I think it was a really good advert for, for League One because I think sometimes League One and League Two get some unfair criticism. And there, there's some really good players in this league. And I'm also really excited for Wimbledon fans because it's a good sign for when that move does come because I, w- I covered them a fair bit last season and there were some really rubbish games. And I think fans were a bit frustrated at how bad the team were at times and and the lack of energy and excitement but I think some of the players they've brought in are really exciting Ryan Longman 19 on loan from Brighton scored his first goal um, at the weekend and I think he's someone the fans can get really excited about albeit it's just a loan but Nesta Guinness-Walker who's always a bit unpredictable but played well on the weekend so I think they're going to be a bit like QPR, to be honest. So it's two teams that I have to cover and tear my hair out about how much they concede. But they're a little bit all over the place at the back. But going forward, they're really exciting to watch. So I think it's going to be great when they get into plough lane and the team can get behind them. 
there's a there was another quite comical moment during the game as well. I don't don't know if you saw this flow, but um, you know Trevor Kettle, the referee. We've all got our own Trevor Kettle stories, having watched <laughs> games down the years. But somehow he managed to walk in front of Joe Piggott after blowing the whistle for him to take that free kick. So Joe Piggott, kind of like a couple of steps into his run up, had to sort of step back and wait for Trevor Kettle to move out of his way, and yet he still bent it over the wall and put it into the top corner. Which uh, you know, if you watch it, you'll see it was just quite incredible, really. Easy to stay on the boil when you're next to a kettle, I suppose. Uh, Charlton 1, Doncaster 3. Now, offside ruler and BBC final score reporter Lindsay Hooper was at the Valley on Saturday. Earlier, producer Abby caught up with her to get her take on football with fans. Lindsay, it was your first match back with the, f- with the fans. How, how did it go for you? How was it? I loved it. I loved seeing fans back in the stadium and it it felt really strange because you you wonder how much noise 1,000 fans can generate. I can't say that I managed to hear too much throughout the match because Charlton didn't actually go on to win. They lost 3-1. So I didn't hear them in full voice very often. But when the the players ran out of the tunnel originally and when all the the team names were being called out over the PA, um, I I was really surprised. It it really got the, the hairs on the back of my neck stood up again because you just realise how much you've missed them Um, and they actually they grouped the fans together more than I thought they were going to at the valley they had them in the lower stand of the the north stand um, and just directly below where the press box was so you actually heard the noise really well from where we were sat Um, and I think during a couple of the reports and updates that I did on the BBC you could actually hear the fans in the background which was lovely to hear for a change after six months absence. Not fake noise anymore yeah interesting how different clubs are going uh, around this I don't know whether they've been tasked with putting fans in different areas but looking at Bloomfield Road uh, um, for Blackpool they, the fans were sort of spread around across the stadium and I, I know in Scotland they've also gone with the Charlton and the uh, uh, Blackpool methods so uh, interesting that different different styles going with uh, with different stadiums um, what were mm-hmm. Charlton's protocols that you, you noted? Well they divided the way that you got to the stadium press and media and staff for the club had one entrance and fans had a completely different one so you were sent in advance a lot of information that you had to digest um, you had to make sure you go you went to that correct gate um, and that's where you had your temperature check and your COVID form and you were given all the information that you needed um, but yeah fans were, were kept completely separate from the staff and the media and and I think that was really important they they had their own temperature check uh, they were asked to socially distance in families and groups that way because of course there was also the announcement of not having people in groups of six or more um, so I, I did witness the way that everyone was socially distancing to queue to get into the stadium it was a much slower process I think that's worth pointing out you know when we do start to see more and more fans returning to stadiums you're going to have to allow more time um to get in but you you have to give credit to the football clubs that are doing that utmost to try and get fans back in stadiums but it means more cleaning time it does mean when it comes to opening toilets and one-way systems uh, around concourses that has to be adhered to so it is going to take a bit longer but I, I thought that for for this experiment it worked really really well and as I was exiting the stadium which I had to exit a different exit to everybody else as well it, there was a there was a, a constant flow of fans coming out of the stadium but they they were in a tiered approach everyone wasn't allowed to just exit altogether um, and that is the way that they they're going to have to approach this I think. 
So top tips, if you're if you're a fan attending a match, give it five hours before you get in. <laughs> yeah, maybe not quite five hours, but certainly allow extra time. Don't be that last minute dot com person. We all know them. Uh, you're definitely going to have to allow a little bit more time. Make sure you've got your mask. It doesn't hurt as well to have your own anti-back with you as well. I mean, the club have got them, but this, of course, for lower league clubs, especially it's an extra expense. So if you can save them some costs, it is going to help them. Amazing. Well, it's nice to be talking about Charlton uh, in a different light to the usual takeover chat. Uh, thank you very much, Lindsay. That'll be for next week. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Lindsay Hooper of the offside rule there. Um, Adrian, before we move on from this game, briefly, Arsenal loney Tyrese John Jules hit a great goal in the match. Tell us a little bit about him, please. Oh, what a goal it was. Just a real twinkle toes inside the box. Lovely little finish. And Great way to get off the mark in Donny colours. Um, this is a big loan for Tyrese John Jules. He's, he's been involved in the first team during pre season and scored goals actually, and, and looks as if he can handle himself. Um, I think he went, he went away to Lincoln last season, scored one in, in seven appearances, so did okay, but not nothing major. Then got injured. Um, so this is this is his opportunity with Doncaster to really make a big big impression he's still only 19 so so there's time on his side he's a very talented boy and, and you know what I think he's at the right club at the moment they're a they're a they're a pretty vibrant team they're attack-minded Doncaster very good midfield unit behind him of Whiteman and, and Magic Gomez and then ahead of them in the 10 role Taylor Richards who's on loan so he's, he's got good footballers around him to supply the ammunition so yeah I, I can see John Jules kicking on from that performance at the Valley and, and get, grabbing quite a few goals for Donny over the coming months. The second loan is always, I always think, the key loan for a young player, isn't it? That first one, you can mm. give them the benefit of the doubt of finding their feet in men's football. But that second yep. loan is where you really have to earn your colours. And of course, there's one amazing fact attributed to Tyrese John Jules, which I'm sure you may have discussed on this programme already. But do you know what it is? Is it about his uncle? Yeah, it is about his uncles. You've obviously heard that one before. He completely stole my thunder there. His uncle is Danny John Jules, who was cat in Red Dwarf, which when I looked that up at the weekend, made my day. <laughs> uh, let's go to Peterborough next they beat Fleetwood by two goals to one uh, if Ian McIntosh was still in this chair he would be praising thunder bastards from Callum Camps for Fleetwood and Jack Taylor for Posh Posh scoring twice in stoppage time to win from behind uh, and Flo I feel like that's a big result for them some positivity around the place after their stumble on opening day and, and also the, the bitter end to last season yeah I think I hate that sort of you know, hangover word that a lot of clubs seem to be facing with the end of last season and and the playoffs. But I think probably there is a little bit of that at Peterborough, a bit of frustration about how things ended. And they are one of the favourites, so it's important that they get up and running. And yet again, we're talking about, oh, what a shame it was that no fans were there because two goals in stoppage time, those are always the most memorable games at home in front of the fans. So an important win because it shows a bit of fight. It shows that they're up for the challenge and maybe fans had been a little bit worried this season because perhaps they were still sulking a little bit about what happened. And against another team who's, you know, one of the favourites as well, um, especially for the playoffs this season. So a really, really good win. Yeah, I'm confident, Matt, that, that these two teams will be in the top six. I, I think they're really strong. Peterborough, loads of talent, but but there's a better balance maybe to the to the side now and less reliance on, on Ivan Tony. So so yeah, I think once they find their flow, Peterborough will 
will win a lot more than they lose. And, and Fleetwood are going to be one of the toughest teams to, to beat in the division. Uh, Joe Barton, I think he's doing a, a great job as, as the head coach. Love him or loathe him. He's um, he's a good manager, I think. And um, they're going places un, under his tenure. So, yeah, watch these two teams. That that could turn out to be a huge result come, come May, I think. Uh, Simon, you're this week's Oxford correspondent, so we ought to <laughs> talk about the the U's with you. Uh, two defeats on the spin to start the campaign. Are you taking that that fabled playoff hangover excuse that that Flo doesn't like, but Robin Cowan employed so effectively last week? Yeah, I don't. I don't believe it in hangovers in terms of Oxford's season. They had a good preseason. If you can look into that, they they put in some good performance against higher league opposition. No, I think it's. It's pretty simple, really. Oxford, number one, they've got a lot of injuries, which, you know, Northampton with 10 players missing went and won at Shrewsbury, so that's not an excuse. But for me, the most alarming thing, and this is what worries me as a fan, because with only one senior signing left within their cap, we desperately need an experienced centre-back and we desperately need some pace out wide and two positions if we don't fill both of those with with the kind of quality we need I think we're really lacking in certainly in leadership out there because you talk about Fleetwood and Peterborough you know Fleetwood have got an abundance of experience through their squad we just don't have that Jamie Mackey retired in the summer John Massinho's got more of a coaching role this year and beside that he's injured now as well Uh, you know our two centre-backs are very young talented players Elliot Moore and Rob Atkinson people are talking about Atkinson going even further than than Rob Dickey maybe but playing them as a a two together with no real football league experience you know beyond the last year I, I just think that there's a little bit of an imbalance within our squad at the minute and Carl Robinson's identified it but when you're working within a salary cap now you can't just go and buy two or three experienced players because you've got to keep below that two and a half million sure do right one more stop on the fun burst that is this podcast league two we come in this is the totally football league show part of the athletic podcast network League Two headlines, Ian Everett becomes the first Bolton manager to lose their first four matches since 1887. Clark, you went through every Bolton match report ever to find that stat. Uh, Cambridge are goal happy, they're 8-0 up after two matches. And Forest Green and Carlisle hosted supporters at the weekend. Uh, Clark, you had a look at Exeter nil, Port Vale 2 for us. Port Vale, well run, seemingly happy club with a good manager. It's a, a club that seems like it's going places at the moment. It's it's really going well for for Port Vale. They've got they've got the look of a team that that are on the rise. That's for sure. We saw signs of that last season before the season was curtailed early. And and yeah, they they may well have snuck into the playoffs a little bit like Northampton did. So so yeah, watch out for Port Vale. Um, scored one good goal on the counter attack here. There was a, there was a great curling free kick from Conlon as well. Devontae Rodney has come in, uh, I think, from Salford and, and has looked ever so sharp. So, yeah, it's, um, it, it looks like a well-balanced team um, and uh, I would expect them to be to be knocking on the door. For Exeter, it's no disaster. That's their first home defeat in, in a year. They're very, very strong on, on home turf. I think from their point of view, they need to kind of get to the bottom of Randell Williams, the, the, the right wing back, key man for them last year. Um, I believe he rejected a, a move to Hull. He's got... So, some irons, irons in another fire, and um, and I just think that 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 might just drag on a little bit and distract, you know, someone that's really really important for Exeter in the coming weeks. So hopefully they can they can get that business done and move on and and build for this season. 
Uh, Lake Norian to Mansfield to Mansfield managing their first goals of the season, but still yet to win in the league. Flo, I, I just wonder after a fairly underwhelming start and a lot of money spent, if if Graham Coughlin might be under pressure before too long. We know Mansfield have got a big budget and and they make no bones about that, but they'll be expecting a bit more of a return than they've had so far. Yeah, definitely. I mean, one this result, all I could really think about was was Orion and this amazing start to the season and kind of dream situation with the cup tie, which obviously we mentioned earlier, who knows what's going to happen there, which is a, a real shame, but it, you know, it, it will probably be rescheduled or something, ideally, in a couple of weeks. So I, for me, I kind of focus more on them in this because they're just showing so much confidence arrogance desire and the 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 feeling about the uh, you know uh, around the place must be so good right now Danny Johnson scoring again DJ loving life um I just think yeah I'm really excited for Orient this season and um as obviously working in and around kind of the London football scene there's so many good London clubs at the moment It's, it's great for Orient to be part of that conversation as well yeah, absolutely. Um, Grimsby nil, Salford four. Simon, I think Ian Henderson did well, a to get a hat trick, but b to bury those two penalties with somebody blasting an air horn just at the moment <laughs> that, he, that he struck the ball. That was incredible, uh, wasn't it? <laughs> oh, Henderson against James McEwen already scored a penalty two weekends ago against Rotherham. What will he do here? Sends it down the middle. A confident player again. So does he go the same way, or does he try something different? Certainly versatile, the way he's taking penalties. Staggered run up. He goes similar just to the right of centre and double Salford City's lead here at Blundell Park. He's already looking like a really good buy though, isn't he? We, we thought that he'd hit the ground running after coming in from Rochdale and, he, and he's certainly done that. Yeah, I think this could be one of the signings of the season, really. I mean, he's 36 in January, Salford of the League Two Galacticos. He's got more goals in the EFL since 2011 than any other player. But you look at his record in League One as well, in a team that prime, predominantly Rochdale, you know, is struggling in, in League One to stay up. Let's be honest, you know, 16 goals last season, 21, 20, 19 in the last four years as well. He's not even what you would call an out-and-out striker, but such a clever player. And I think surrounded by good players who are going to create opportunities and the fact that he takes good penalties as well uh, this is a Salford side who you know I feel sorry for Grimsby because they've had a lot of changes this summer with Ian Holloway you know really revamping their squad and that was an absolute beating after losing their first game of the season as well but you know Salford I think most people would look at them as one of the favourites for promotion drew way too many games last year but after finding their feet last season and getting to a Wembley final as well before not being able to play that game. I think this year will be the year, you know, that they they really are up there again and, and they will be backed come what may. That's just about it for this week. Before we go, time for our never tenuous and finally section. This week, inspired by Brentford's happy housewarming at the Brentford Community Stadium, I want to know what's the best way to get settled quickly in a new gaff. Now, Simon, I've got some insider knowledge here. You have got a bar in your garage. Was that something that, that you always had in mind when you moved into your current abode to get you, get you feeling settled? Yeah, well, it was, a, it was a lockdown idea that just started off as a dartboard and then progressed as the months went on and became a little bit of an obsession after that that, you know, my wife has just given up on trying to suppress, to be honest. So uh, <laughs> she's probably quite glad to get rid of me to the garage for a few hours every evening to play darts. Uh, but yeah, on that note, I think particularly with fans coming back in small numbers this weekend, 
a house party, a housewarming party. I mean, it's great to see Brentford at their new stadium. It looks fantastic, but how brilliant it will be to have fans inside the stadium filling those seats and having a real party, particularly as they didn't get to to celebrate their send-off at Griffin Park as they would have loved to have done. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Clarky, how about you? Best way to, to get settled quickly in a new well, house? Well, I moved into this house uh, that I'm in now three years ago, and it, it just brought back memories when you when you brought this up. Um, because I, I just think the best way to settle into your new home, especially when you've got brand new carpets, is to is to spill an entire plate of curry all over <laughs> the carpet, and then just just to stain it, just to mark it up a little bit. It's like when you get a new pair of trainers, isn't it? They, they don't feel it doesn't feel real until they've got their first scuff. So yeah, my advice to, to Brentford was just, just just get a few stains in and around that that stadium, mess it up a bit, and then you'll start to feel a little bit more at home. I was in the bad books for about a week after doing that. It was an <laughs> absolutely shocking start. Quite right too. Um, how about you, Flo? Are you getting your QPR duvet and pillow set out as soon as you get in? Oh, you know what? I did actually have that, but then my boyfriend banned me from using that because I think he thought it was the only thing, you know, something a 13-year-old boy would do. No, my thing would be walk around naked or if you don't want to be naked in your pants and really, you know, mark your territory and get a feel for the surroundings. I think that's that's the biggest thing. When you feel like you, you know, you're really comfortable in your own home and you can really relax. I think I think that's the essential. How do you essential. mark your territory by the way? I was just going to say, don't do it like Clark. No, not not like not like an animal would, but you know, the 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 proverbial um, territory that that one might mark, um, and uh, you know, swagger about the place in in your underwear. That's what I would say. Nice. Uh, that's a great way to end a very assured debut, Flo. We'll, we'll see you again soon, hopefully. And you too, Simon. Thanks for joining us. Uh, Clarky, 8 out of 10 as ever. That's just about it for this week. From Adrian, Flo, Simon, Abby and me, have a smashing week. We'll catch up with you soon. You've been listening to the Totally Football League Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Keep up to date with everything Totally at thetotallyfootballshow.com and following at the Totally Show on Twitter and Insta. Check out all the Athletics Football podcasts on Apple, Spotify and all the usual places or listen ad-free on the Athletic app. Totally Football League Show is a Muddy Knees Media production and sponsored by Paddy Power. Muddy Knees Media. Yes, that music means one thing and one thing only. The Offside Rule WSL edition is back. Woohoo! And the WSL is bigger and better than ever before. Which means we need to do the same. And that's why we've got interviews with the biggest names, the brightest minds in the game, as well as all the in-depth match analysis you've come to know and love. Just search for the Offside Rule WSL edition, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Or you can find us ad-free on the Athletic app. That's the Offside Rule WSL edition, out every Tuesday. <laughs> 